Hello, and welcome to the SAMOP Specialty Spotlight Podcast. This podcast was created to help inform military medical students about experiences and opportunities in military medicine. We aim to interview physicians either currently in or retired from the military from all branches of service in various specialties. Today, we're fortunate to have Dr. Nicholas here with us. Dr. Nicholas attended the University of Missouri-Columbia and graduated in 2007. She then completed her OBGYN residency at Triple Army Medical Center and currently practices at Evans Army Community Hospital in Colorado Springs. Dr. Nicholas, thank you so much for being here with us today. So let's get into it. Sure. You served in the Army for six years prior to medical school. Can you tell us a bit about your path to the Army and why you chose to become a physician? So I came in the military as a cook. That was my first job. I was uh, in food service, and I primarily did it to pay for education, to get the GI Bill. That's always been kind of utilizing your resources, I guess you would say, uh, in order to be able to pay for school as I couldn't afford it prior to that. And so that was the primary goal. I've always been interested in science or medicine. I didn't want to be a cook, but there was no job. When you come in the military, you get what you get, <laughs> or you wait. And I didn't want to wait. I was much older. I wasn't coming out of high school. I was already uh, working in industry, so I needed to pay for college in order to move forward. So I just kind of looked into the military as a system to be able to pay for school in the future. I didn't think I was going to make it a career at any point, and particularly when I was uh, working in food service. I was not. um, I wasn't going to become a chef. I did love cooking, and that's why I thought oh, I like cooking. can't be that bad. But cooking for three or four people versus cooking for hundreds of people, cooking in the field was a completely different experience. But again, utilizing your resources, recruitment and reenlistment, you know, those are the things that you, you learn as you go. And as I got farther and it was time for me to get out, then I reenlisted. And one of the things that I said I would reenlist if I could get more into the medical field because I wanted to become a surgical tech. That was my goal. And so uh, if you could become a medic, then you can become a surgical tech. However, it has to be in your contract, and it wasn't. <laughs> and so, but I became a medic, and that's how kind of the medicine part of it kind of started more to develop. And so I did three years in that, and with my GI Bill in college fund, I was able to get out of the military, not quite the full six years, it was like five years, nine months, and I went back to school, and I did my undergrad in medical school at the University of Missouri. What made you decide to go to medical school? When I was a medic, I worked in the ER, and work in the ER, you get exposed to, you know, different fields. When I first arrived to the hospital as a medic, they'll just, what available spots are there? And the sergeant major said, you know, there's a spot in the ER, there's a spot in OBGYN, and I think somewhere like in the immunization clinic. And he said, where do you want to go? And I said, I don't want to go to OB at all. That was like, that was not interesting <laughs> to me. And uh, I didn't want to be giving shots all the time, so I thought the ER was a good you know, variety, excitement, having just become an EMT, you're thinking emergency medicine. And so I chose to go to the ER, and there I got exposed to nurses, PAs, and physicians alike. And so kind of seeing that variety and how everybody kind of had their little niche, I really thought that 
my idea was if I go into medicine, where will I sit later on? At the time, PAs and nurse practitioners and stuff, other than the military, there wasn't a very big service for them. And so I felt like if I was going to be a nurse, then I would just be a nurse. There was no such thing as a nurse practitioner, at least not something that was prevalent. And the other choice was PA or physician. And I had a really good PA. His name was Redmond. And he would say, you can be a big fish in a little pond, that's what he felt like, versus a little fish in a big pond talking about physicians. And he felt he had a little bit more freedom, and I thought PA school was where I wanted to go. But things change when you start looking at your viability outside the military. And the military was very easy, uh, you know, to go, you do a little undergrad, and you just then the military trains you, and you have a job. But outside of that, really the only jobs for PAs was orthopedics and emergency medicine at the time. And so I didn't feel like I was going to do that forever. And I felt being a physician was going to give me more choices. And so I decided that when I got out of the military, I was going to do undergrad. And if I got accepted to medical school, then that was going to be my path. And, and here I am. Awesome. So at what point in medical school did you decide that you wanted to do OBGYN? Well, definitely not the first year. <laughs> like I said, when I got, was giving those choices, I was pretty firm in uh, first year of medical school that I was never going to do psych or OBGYN. Those were like completely out of my plan. Because I had worked in the ER for almost three years, I felt like I liked the ER. And that was, I liked the shift work, I liked the variety. You got to do a little bit of surgical, cardiology, you know, ER is everything, right? The one thing I didn't like about ER was there was no continuity for me. I liked to get to know my patients, so I felt like family practice or internal medicine was going to be more of a fit for me. And as you start doing your rotations, my plan was to start my rotations beginning with the things that were going to be core for step, right? Step one, step two. So I, I line up my rotations to be internal medicine, family practice, OB and P. So those were my first four rotations. I definitely didn't like being in the hospital all the time. So internal medicine wasn't interesting. Family medicine was really interesting because you did everything. But I had a really good preceptor being in a university setting. She did a lot of OB herself. And I think that's when I started kind of get an interest in it. I also had just had a son. I had my, my first child in between first and second year. So he was about a year old. I think having gone through pregnancy gave me a different perspective as a patient. And then working with this preceptor, the way she managed her patients, the ability to do deliveries, she had more of a FPOB type of practice. And so I liked that. And I thought that that's what I would kind of fund and channel myself into. However, again, kind of like going back to PA, how viable is that in the community? And having other preceptors that were out in the community were just fully at peace, explained to me that they had to give up their OB because it was too expensive. And so understanding that likely I will never be able to have the kind of practice she had, she was kind of giving me a picture of, that's when I realized what I liked the most. Did I like more kind of everything at peace? Or was I more interested in OB? And my husband always tells me, never say never, because you always say, do the thing, then you always say never. And I ended up in OB. 
so opening your eyes when you do your rotations, right? You always think you, you know, I want to be a psychiatrist, I want to be an internal medicine, or et cetera, but really going in with open eyes and understanding where you really find your love in your niche and how you want to live your life. OB is not easy. And nobody ever gave me, you only do work Monday through Friday and never have call. You know, it's probably the worst call of everybody. That's why I like ER, because it was shift work. You do your 12 hours, you're out, you're off, you're off, you don't hold that pager. OB, you're married to the pager, you're married to your patients, you're always, you know, kind of thinking of, you know, that I take care of that patient, it, it stays with you for over 18 years, you're a high risk of being sued and your malpractice. But go because you love it. Don't go because of the financial risk or the hard work of four years of doing everything and not being as surgical as surgeons are, but not doing as much primary care as primary care does. It's kind of a good blend of everything, and that's what I liked. And that's why I do it. you got to like what you like because you can always redo residency and do something else, but who wants to go back to being a resident after you've done residency for four years and find out you don't like it? Mm-hmm. So definitely go with open eyes and realize that whatever you thought that your path was, it may be completely different at the end. What's been your favorite aspect of practicing as a military OBGYN? My favorite aspect, I think because in the military you are not, I mean, you have to worry about finances, of course, but not as much as if you were in private practice or in a practice that is hospital-owned, that it's always the bottom dollar, that you're able to practice evidence-based medicine. We're not going to rush a C-section because if I don't deliver this patient, I'm not getting that payment. Somebody else is going to do it if they do it, right? So being able to actually practice evidence-based medicine without having the dollar sign behind it. I'm not saying that physicians on the outside don't, don't practice evidence-based medicine, but they have to be thinking about the bottom dollar. Because if you're in a private practice, if you spend $300 for a $20 procedure, you're going to end up paying more than the patient is actually paying you back. So there is a little bit of that ability to be focused on your clinical practice and being a doctor and not being so much worried about the business sense. Now, me being the department chief, I do have to worry about the business sense, so it's a little different. But starting up and just being a physician is being a physician, worrying about your patients, creating your clinical practice, the way you're going to practice, and that is one thing that I, I enjoy. What is the most challenging aspect of the field? The field in the military or the field in general? The field in general. I think it's time. You don't have time. One of the things that, you know, my secret Santa asked me what I wanted for Christmas, I was like, I would like to have more time because there's never enough time. And I think a lot of doctors feel the same way, but when you think of OB, you show up at 6.30 in the morning or 7 o'clock in the morning before your clinic starts, you're doing rounds, you do your clinic, you're still charting, and you're still on call, your pager is always on for your patients or for your emergencies. Then you work the weekends, you work nights and days. So time is, I think is the most OBGYNs will tell you that that's, if there was a perfect world where you didn't have to be on call all night or, uh, you know, and that's where people start doing kind of the laborist or hospitalist kind of jobs, so that gives more freedom to the clinicians, then uh, I think most people would take time as being one of the detractors. Time with your family, 
sacrifices for not just in residences but beyond, knowing that I'm not going to leave 30 minutes into a C-section because my shift is over. I'm going to stay there until it's over. And, you know, not like anesthesia, they do the little exchange behind the curtain and then they give each other breaks. There's no breaks. You stay there until it's over. There's a complication, you come back. And so you dedicate a lot of time and you lose some things. But it gets better. I think you've got to find a balance. But time would be the biggest detractor of being an OB-GYN. Lots of time, personal time. That leads me right into our next question. Do you have to balance being an officer and a physician and a mom? So what do you do to balance those? So being a physician, you know you have your standard basic things that you need to do, right? You've got to take care of the patient. You're going to diagnose the patient, practice evidence-based medicine, good communication with your team. So if you can organize yourself and do those things within the time that you're in the clinic or you're in the hospital, then less likely you have extra things to do afterwards. So some people are really good. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not very good with time management, so I, I struggle. And even after 10 years, I still got to work at it and got to figure out because as you move along, particularly in the military, and you get more administrative duties, then they want more time with you, yet you still have to provide the patient care. So finding that sometimes you got to give up some things. Maybe I don't do as much OR or I don't do as much call to be able to balance the administrative requirements. The military is going to ask you to go to the range, attend certain classes, be at a a formation, et cetera, and, and know that they don't care if you're a doctor. You still have to go. You still have to go and do your analysis on your day off, right? And so understanding that there'll be requirements that every soldier has to do, and yet you still have to do your, your, your physician job, but give yourself time. If you know that's coming, separate a little bit of time or know that you may not may have to stay an extra hour just to get that training done. And so that's where it eats your time away from your family. And so when you're off, you're off. Dedicate that time to your family. And that's something I've had to learn in a hard way. Particularly being chief, I always feel like I'm never off. But nobody told me that I'm not off. I just put that burden into myself, right? So as time's gone by, being able to delegate. You're being an officer also is being able to manage other people, being able to mentor other people. And so know that there's a point where you have people underneath you that can do the same jobs. And so don't feel like you you got to do it all. And same thing at home. You can delegate certain things. Okay, I want to be a mom, but I, you know, maybe I'm not going to, let's make it the routine that I'm not the one putting them to bed. Maybe I'm the one giving them the bath or uh, on the weekend. So just having a good communication, I think, works in all the three levels, being a physician, being an officer, being a mom. And, and it's uh, something we learn. It's not where nobody's born with it. Some are better than others but you can learn and, and work on it. And if you have good communication at all three levels, then you can split your time, maybe not evenly, because there's never such thing as evenly, but fair at the end. Where all have you been stationed? What different positions have you held in your military career? Since becoming a, a doctor, so I've been a tripler, where I did my residency, to, uh, Hawaii, Honolulu, Hawaii. I've been up for uh, Riley, Kansas, next to Manhattan, Kansas, the little apple, Junction City. So it's a small, very rural, wide open spaces, just like you imagine Kansas, flat. But, you know, I see, never say never. 
driving from Missouri, from Columbia, Missouri, to Colorado, you have to drive through Kansas. We were going skiing, and I saw the post sign, never been there, and I said, I never want to be stationed there. I was stuck there for six years. So never say never because you may end up having or doing things that you thought you would never do. And so for Riley, Kansas was one. I was there for six years, and then here at Carson is going to be four years. And prior to that, enlisted was Lawton, Oklahoma, and uh, Fort Leonard Wood. Okay. How can current military medical students develop into strong officers while we're still in medical school? And how can we continue to be strong officers once we get into the military and advance our career? I think as uh, doctors and as medical students, you are given and afforded the opportunity to hold leadership positions. It doesn't matter whether you hold any rank or you're in the military. Those are the things that develop you, but good communication, being a good communicator and being fair, knowing that you learn from the lowest person in your ranks to the highest person. So don't think that because it's a private that has been there at that clinic that you're going to come and chew your butts because they're not doing it your way. Maybe that has been done your way and it didn't work. So make sure that you listen and communicate. I think that's what makes you a good leader. Uh, it's not just to bark orders, but to be able to utilize the, the team you have. Being able to lead, mentor, and educate at all levels. I think as medical students, we learn that. It makes you a good doctor because it, it works for you when you work in the, in the hospital, in your clinic. You're learning from your LPMs because they've been there and they know how the patient flow works. So when you get there, observe. So being observant and communicating, I think that makes you a good officer. It's not going to the war officer corps or whatever, and you want to be super. Yes, you're going to need that to be a good officer because I didn't learn to do what I did without having to go to those courses. But a good officer and a good doctor, you got to be observant and you be able to communicate. And I think if you have those two good skills, you're going to do well. Thank you. That's great advice. What advice do you have for students when not only choosing their specialty, but choosing what residency program they want to go to? So specialty, I think I just take a lesson for myself. Never say never. I didn't want to do OB, but keeping your eyes open, because I wasn't even doing OB. I was doing family practice. And then I realized what I liked more out of that practice, and then going into the next uh, program, that's when I was like, oh, I really like this. I really like OB. I, I should have never discounted it. Having your eyes open, and I always thought ER, you know, that was probably where I was going to go, either internal medicine, ER, and again, understanding what is required from you, what you're giving up. Are you giving up time? Are you giving patient continuity? Are you giving a certain population? Like, I only see women. I'm fine with that. Are you doing pediatrics? You're going to give up some formal communication. Kids don't communicate very well. They just say it hurts, right? They cry. You have to deal with parents, right? Are you a good communicator with other people when there's a stressful situation? Parents get very angry when their babies are sick. Understanding where you, you fall in in those little things that either you're going to have to deal all the time with or you're going to give up. I wanted to still do some surgical. I still wanted to do continuity. I still wanted to do some inpatient. And so OB just kind of met all those things, and I liked it, right? But I knew I was going to give up time. I, was, I knew I was going to give up some personal time, 
And, and being a surgeon is, uh, you know, surgery is a long time with five, six years, and then plus if you self-specialize, knowing that you will spend a lot of time in the OR, maybe not as much in the clinic versus, you know, if you're going to do family practice, that's all you're going to do, maybe not as much inpatient. Any rotation you do or any experience, any mentor you have, pick their brain, understand, like, what do they like about it, and see if you're kind of the personalities that go with you with your family plan. Consult with your family as well, family members, people who have had experience. I did not know a single OBGYN prior to coming to OB. I was like, all I knew was family practice or ER docs. That's why I thought that's what I wanted. And actually, one told me to be an orthodontist, and I should have listened. They make lots of money. But that's not, that's not medical. So I would say that. I'll go with open eyes, see what you like, what you, you're willing to give up, what you're willing to work hard at. And some people like doing surgery and others, they're squirmish with the side of blood. Maybe they want to go to radiology, right? It's difficult to tell you what you should do being on my side. you got to get to know the person. But I think those would be the advice. What are you willing to give up? Where are you willing to work hard off? Because that's what the primary part of the, the I guess, the rotation. And how do you choose a, a military or a residency? Go as many places as you can go. So in the military, of course, we're funneled into certain locations. In the Army, Madigan, Tripler, San Antonio, D.C., uh, depends. That there's some smaller places for the internal medicine and stuff. If the Army or the military only pays for two rotations, I don't know about the other services, but I know the Army only pays for two rotations. So speak wisely. If you really don't like the East Coast, don't go visit the East Coast, right? If you do have family on the West Coast but you don't want to be close to them, then don't go to Maryland, right? Plan that how uh, you plan to have a family. Maybe you do want to be in the West Coast, so you want to look at the West Coast residency. So a lot of time it has to do with where your family is, what your long-term plan is. Maybe you want to go to that residency because they have a fellowship, and that fellowship interests you because you want to be an REI. And so if you're in that residency, you have an in with the REI fellowship people because they're going to see your work. You're going to be doing research with them. So consider those things. Do you want to go beyond the internal medicine, the internship, the, you know, et cetera, that, um, that you want to be in the end with that team? It's never a guarantee, but it, it might be helpful to be in that location. So think about those things. And then, again, think about, okay, well, I have family in the West Coast. They live in the same town where that residency program is. Maybe I'll do that and pay that on my own because some medical schools will let you take more rotations away. And so, you know, have the military pay for the other locations that are far away. The military pays for me to go to Hawaii. The military pays for me to go to Madigan for a month, and those were two places I was very highly interested, but I had family in San Antonio, so that's where Bamsi is. Well, that was another big OBGYN residency, so it was easy for me to request to go there on my own money so the military would not have to pay for me. Essentially, I was paying out of pocket, but I stayed with family and friends. I borrowed a car for my mom. Then you can afford it. So think about what things you can afford on your own where you want to do an extra trip Georgia, you know, if you have family there. But have the military pay for those locations where they're more expensive or where you really want to go. I ended up on Hawaii. I don't think I could have ever afforded on my own 
ticket to go over there. Those are the things you got to think about where to do your rotations, and particularly if you're leaning towards a specialty, there's a subspecialty you might be interested in. Consider fellowships that are within that same program. Okay, great. Kind of along the same lines, OBGYN specifically, what advice do you have just for students in general pursuing OBGYN? Know your anatomy. I think the pelvis, nobody knows the anatomy better than an OBGYN. Be ready to be quizzed. OBGYNs love to quiz people in the OR. So if you're really interested, show interest, right? If you're, um, you know, volunteer to do things, don't be afraid to ask questions. I don't also want somebody to tell me is like, I know the answer, or they want to go into, a, you know, a step, and then they, well, I thought this is how it's done. Well, if you're not sure, ask. I, nobody's going to put you down for asking for help. OB is a small group. doesn't matter where you go. There's not that many of us. One more. You have to have passion for caring for women in their most difficult and their happiest moments, but it can also be the most difficult. There's a lot of grief in it as much as there's joy. So be ready for that. Not all peaches and cream. Women can be difficult, so be ready for that as well. But the women can be very loving and very caring and they're very loyal. That's one of the important things that we have obstetrics in, in all our small and big centers because women drive the economy. Women drive, if you go and get your OB care there, you're also going to bring your pediatric care there. And so it drives the economy. So having a good service and being able to deliver that to women, women will be loyal. Well, we're women, so we know we can fluctuate on our hormones. But uh, you got to love the good and the bad. There's a lot more good or I wouldn't do it. To me, there's a lot more reward. The reward of seeing that baby grow in a mom's belly and being completely healthy and being able to do that delivery in the military. I don't always get continuity in being able to deliver my own patients. But even when I deliver somebody that I've never met, being in that special moment when they first cry and they get excited, it's joyful. You also get those sad moments, having a loss at 39 weeks. You know, it's very painful to tell that to a patient and yet still have to deliver them. Having a loss at Six weeks, it's just as painful. So being compassionate. You have to be compassionate. And doesn't mean you have to cry with every patient, but you've got to be able to come down to their level and, and share their pain at that moment in time and being respectful because you're going to encounter that, you know, women will have different cultures and different times of their life where they're very forgiven and they don't care what happens. You know, they've had eight babies, whatever. And then there's those ones that are very private. You cannot be paternalistic. Just like now in medicine, everything, you want a good rapport with your patient, and particularly with women, because they're vulnerable to you and to what you're doing for them and taking care of them. So if you like those kinds of things, then OBGYN is a good place for, for somebody. Okay. What has kept you in the military as a physician and not transitioning into the civilian world? I think it's the fact that when I added the numbers, my six years of active duty prior, then four years of residency, I was really at 10. And I still had to pay an extra three years for ROTC. And I don't, I don't think I mentioned that. I did uh, National Guard and ROTC during those seven years that I was undergrad in medical school. So I, I, I owed an extra three years. So by the time it was all said and done, I was at 13. So all I had to do is seven more years in order to retire. 
I could have just put my cap down and be easy, you know, it's like, hey, I'm done. But it honestly, it felt like the benefits at the end were worth it. Yeah, the sacrifice, I don't get paid as much. I mean, when you compare, even as a lieutenant colonel, is 50% less than the average regular OBGYN. I'm not even talking to a specialist. You know, you, you know, you get paid less, but one is I'm proud to be in the military. Two, there are benefits at the end of the tunnel. You get the benefit of retirement, insurance for your family. Actually, I'm currently looking for a job, and I'm going to look into those things, being in the real world. Insurance in the outside the military, it costs $1,000 for a full family a month. In the military with retirement, I would be paying $700 a year. Wow. So to me, it was worth the sacrifice, and that's a really high insurance, a smaller practice. Other practices are like 600 a month, but that's still quite a bit. You know, it's still quite, even though you're getting paid a lot more, that's a lot. And so I have to think about the benefits at the end. I had the GI Bill, so my kids will have some school paid for. By the time I realized how it all worked, you had to work four years, um, or two extra years, I don't know, you have to look into that. But at the time I transferred my time to them, I had to serve an additional two years. So that was putting me at 15 already. I think five years, anybody can do anything for five years. So the benefits for my family, health insurance, a little baby paycheck every month from the retirement that you can save, invest, or use for vacation, to me it, it was well worth it, saving the extra five years. Now, if you come with no service, then you're more about the seven to ten year mark. That at the halfway point, I think it would have been harder if there was no job satisfaction or if there was more difficult to get along or all the military requirements. But I felt like I had a good balance. My job satisfaction was good. Like I said, I served six years at Fort Riley. I could have asked three years earlier to be moved. And people in the military, civilians, they are happy to take care of uh, military people. So the community was nice. Coming to Fort Carson, if I had been sent to Fort Weed and Fort Irwin in California, maybe I wouldn't have been so happy and maybe I would have just dropped it at 19. But, you know, it's, it's having a little bit of, you know, that job satisfaction, the, the benefits at the end. It was worth for me and my family to, to stay the extra time. Everybody's going to be different, particularly if you're young and you have no prior service. It's going to be more difficult to make that decision after you finish all your training payback because you're going to be at that 10-year mark. Some at the 11, even at 13, it makes it really hard to say, well, I could be living closer to my family, getting paid better. I could forego all these other benefits. Being a veteran, you still get lots of benefits. I mean, going through this retirement process, you'll find out how many benefits, even just being a veteran, you'll have. You won't have the benefits of insurance. You won't have the benefits of retirement. But I think you just got to play around with uh, what is important, how much longer are you willing to continue to move to be deployed. So those things are come into play when you, do I stay an extra five years? Do I stay an extra 10 years? And so for me it was easy because I had the extra time. And, and, and the time I had to give back was much bigger than four years. So it, it put me right at the five-year mark. It was worth five years. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So I have one final question for you. Looking back at your career, is there anything you wish you had known as a medical student or as an intern? 
that I would change my mind or I chose something differently? Uh, no. Uh, I think um, I would have been an OBGYN even though I said I would never do it. Uh, <laughs> I love what I do. I would still have gone to Hawaii. I mean, it was the experience of my lifetime, living four years there and uh, the teaching I received and the experiences. Hmm, what would I wish I knew as a medical student that I, did, that I know now? Don't get stuck in one place. I mean, I, I know it's nice to have continuity, and I was there for six years, and it was just pleasant. But in the military, if you want to stay in and you want to move up, you have to be willing to change. That's something that back then, kind of what they call homesteading, you stayed in one place and most people retire out of that place and never leave. And that's fine. And I think I would have been happy with that. But if there's somebody who is young and you want to diversify, don't be afraid to take a chance on a location. You can always request move after two years, right? And that's something that I think I put blinders on and I was in a different place. I had two kids, and I, I really wanted them to go to school. And But uh, be willing to, to take some leadership spots. And it doesn't have to be big. I'm not talking department chief. Leading a team in some PI project, for example, postpartum hemorrhage. I'm just going in OB questions. But there could be something you're passionate about because that gives you job satisfaction. And I think I put blinders on. I just wanted to go through my time, and I didn't get involved while I was in residency in doing these little projects that maybe it would have taken me on a, a completely different path. But I'm happy with where I am. I'm happy with the decisions I made, but perhaps being more proactive, doing research. As I look at some other people, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're published. How are they published? How did they do it? It's not like they work an extra eight hours every day to do that. It's, you know, having a good mentor. I don't think I really tagged on to somebody to be my mentor, and I think mentors is the ones that are going to give you that, those examples and those experiences and push you to do something that you may not have thought of. So find a good mentor wherever you go. I thought I knew it all, and I knew exactly what path I wanted to take, but I think if I had a good mentor, somebody I could have talked to more and be confident, maybe they would have guided me and I would have done something different. But uh, I'm happy with where I am, so I don't think I made bad decisions as a medical student or a resident, but I think if I had to do it all over again, I would really like to have had a good mentor and look for a good mentor wherever you go. Yeah, that's really important. Well, Thank you so much for all that advice and wisdom you've imparted on us. That wraps up our episode with Dr. Nicholas today. Again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your experiences with me and the other medical students. Uh, for thank those you for having me. Of course. For those of you listening, if you have any other recommendations for the podcast or anything you'd like to hear in particular, feel free to email samopseducationchair at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.